Therefore, verse four, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Um, guys, I think you know, I, I've said this to you, that I really love this passage because it, it represents a pastor who uh, I think is, is honest, uh, who is upset. Uh, if, if I were to um, remind you of those earlier verses in chapter 1, verses uh, 8 and 9, where he basically, um, <laughs> uh, he, he says, oh, might they fall under a divine curse, which, uh, because of a different gospel. But, you know, I told you back then that it's, I, <laughs> I heard somebody say this week, if you translated the book of Galatians um, as literally as the, Greek, as the Greek allows you to translate it, then your Bible would no longer be rated PG um, because there are some things that the Apostle Paul says, like the ones in Galatians 1, but you see it bleed over all the way. To, we're, still in, we're in chapter 3 now. And he's, still, he's still aroused. He's very upset with the Galatians for, for what they had done. Um, and tonight we want to talk about, again, what, what they had done. And um, to, to make it, I hope, useful to you, I, I want to I do this. Um, in these two verses, the words are in the two verses. Paul is putting, he's making three sets of comparisons. Okay, it's, it's works versus hearing. That, that's, that's the first, you see it, you see it, I think it's in verse 2. Um, it, well, it actually is in verses 2 and 5. Um, he is comparing law versus faith. And then the, the last comparison that you find, again, in the text is language that he uses where he compares flesh versus spirit. Okay? Um, so, the, so those are the three comparisons. Um, and he, he asked this series of rhetorical questions. Um, as, as you see, it's just, did you do this? I mean, what about that? And did you get this from that? And how did you get that? I mean, it's, he's, he's, just, uh, he's just assaulting them with questions to show them the foolishness of their position. And in so doing, he is comparing these three things. You've got one system of doing things. Uh, and the words, again, are, I'm, I've drawn right from the text. Works, law, and flesh. And then you've got another system of doing things, hearing faith and spirit. This is, the, this is the position that he is, this one is the position that he's comparing with this one. Um, to do that, to make his point, he uses certain examples. Um, and he asks them, to think through their position based on these issues. The, the issue that you find in verse 4 is the issue of suffering. Um, the issue that you find in verse 5 or 4, uh, no, it's verse uh, 5. I think it's 5. Yes, it's, it's verse 5. Um, is the issue of miracles. He gives them some examples and says, all right, if, you, if, you, um, if this is your posture, 
you're going to think about this in a certain way. And if this is your posture, you will think about this same thing. And let's, let's take suffering, for instance. Um, if this is your position, a position of works and law and flesh, um, if, you are, if you are one of these folks, then when suffering occurs, you begin to think like this. God is angry at me. He's angry at me because I haven't done enough. There are, um, there are certain things that he expects. I didn't give them to him. Therefore, I have suffering. On the other hand, if, you have, if this is your position and you experience suffering, we, we believe, believing this, we believe that all of the punishment due our sin was poured out in Christ and that God cannot punish it twice because if he punishes us for it and he punishes Christ for it, he has punished it twice. So we, we view suffering as something that is, that is weaning us from the world. It is pointing out our own um, self-sufficiency and our own... Uh, fleshliness that God is taking his finger and he is putting it on uh, uh, or is pointing out those areas which are so uh, that, that, that need to go but you see over here God's mad at me and he's punishing me if this is how you understand uh, we'll just call it the gospel if that's how you understand it, then you're going to view this differently. If this is how you understand the gospel, you're going to view suffering differently. Um, guys, um, I, I, that's, we're, we're going to come back to the miracles in just a second. But there's a, there's a principle that I think you all know. It's mentioned in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, I think. And, I, and I'd like for you to go take a look at it real quick. This is the statement that I think you're familiar with, where Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God, is it 12 and 13? Um, yes, it is 12 and 13. Now, now, now look at it, guys. Look at Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence, but also in much more, work out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, gang, uh, if you start in verse 13, you, you see this wonderful truth that, that what you're doing is working out something that God has already worked in. But I draw your attention to these words, work out out for it is uh in verse 12 but now uh work out your own salvation i think we've somewhat missed the meaning of those two words could could i could i suggest an alternative and i don't think it does any damage to the to the words when paul says work out your own salvation i want to suggest this substitute Tease out. 
um, work out the applications of everything you will believe. And then when you face something like this, you apply this gospel thing to this. Why am I suffering? God's angry at me and, and I'm, I'm a bum. Well, that's the way you think if, you're, if this, is what you, this is what you hold to. But if you understand that the gospel is of grace, it's of the hearing of faith, it's something from front to back is spiritual, then, then when this occurs, you think of it differently. You work out, you tease out of the things that you believe true to, uh, about who you are in Christ Jesus. That's what he's doing in this little section, guys. He's giving you some examples to say, okay, how about this? Work it out. Think through what you believe. Work it out. Tease it out. And then apply it to that. That's what he mentions in verse 4. Then he comes to miracles and he says, what about miracles? Work out what you believe and apply it to this. Um, what, what, what about miracles? Um, tell me, uh, my brother and sister in Christ, what happened to you? Um, how did you attain this, this new life that you now have in Christ? Did you g- get it by um, going out and determining... I'm going to meet every requirement that is necessary so that I can have this thing that God offers. Is that how you got it? Or did you get it by responding through the hearing of faith to a message? A message about not what God expects you to do, but what, what, a message about what Christ has done for you. That miracle of conversion, that miracle of regeneration. How did you get it? Did you get it like that? Tease out what you know to be true and apply it to this issue. Um, you know, Paul did a miracle. Um, he healed a lame man, I think. He, he healed a lame man in Pisidian Antioch, which is in the region of Galatia. He performed a miracle by having a lame man walk. Now, they would have known about that because it was done in their region. How did Paul heal that man in Acts 14? Did he heal him by law? Was there certain formulaic things that were to be done and then a hocus pocus was said and all of us, did did he do it in the flesh? Is that how he did it? No, when it comes to this this issue of miracles, if if this is how you think, you'll think of this differently. But if this is your position, then you think about this issue differently than someone from this camp. Um, l- l- let me just try to use an example that I, I'm, I hate to pick. But let's say that you belong to the church of Christ. And you've been told all your life that you've got to be baptized by immersion by them to be saved. 
It's, it's some kind of law works flesh stuff. And then all of a sudden, some kind of horrible suffering comes your way. So you start thinking, well, maybe, maybe I didn't get immersed rightly. Maybe I had a bad attitude when I was doing it. Maybe, maybe the preacher had barked at his wife that morning. Maybe I didn't do it right. Do you see, ladies and gentlemen? If, if this is your position, you view everything differently. The two examples that he gives you in verse 4, it's suffering. In verse 5, it's miracles. Now, what I want to do tonight in the time that's remaining is that I want to give you four more. I want to give you four more issues that are not in the text, but I'm going to do the same thing that the Apostle Paul is doing. All he did was he, he's comparing these two systems and saying, well, what about your suffering? Did you suffer in vain, you idiots? I mean, by the way, that's kind of how he's saying it too. I mean, that's why I like the passage. You know, he's just alive. Um, and what about miracles? What about, I mean, how did that miracle of regeneration happen to you? Did, you? did it come to you because you were obeying some kind of law, you numbskull? I mean, that's what he's doing. Now, let's talk about other issues that, that really are more, let's just say, relevant to a crowd like this. Let's take envy. By the way, this is, this is the preacher's national pastime. This is preacher's national pastime. All of them. All of us. Envy. By the way, there's several instances in the book of Acts where Paul is out in some city and once in Thessalonica, I recall, and the other one I think it was in Antioch. I forget, but and the Jews oppose him, and the text says, oh, they were concerned about the message that the guy was preaching. No. The text says, they were envious of the crowds. And as a result of being envious of the crowds, um, they caused this big ruckus and you know, you know, arrested Paul. Um, but, okay. So let's just say that nobody else in here is guilty of envying anybody else. Okay, it's only me that's guilty. But how does one who has envy deal with his envy? Um, do I tell you, well, dead gummit, just try harder? That envy is terrible. You know, guys, back in, back, in the, um, back in the day when I was such a frat rat, and uh, I was an SAE, by the way. <laughs> I don't say that in public uh, too many places, but uh, I was an SAE, and all we knew how to do was drink and party. And that was, I, I became a Christian after I graduated, but I was an SAE, and, and um, um, you, you know, I was quite a dancer. I, I must say so myself. Uh, my, my wife has another version of this story. <laughs> she says that people gathered around me because it was such a, an absolute display of hideousness. And, and, and I say they were really, you know, encouraged by all of my dancing moves. <laughs> but anyway, back in the day, there was a song, and, and they still play it. And, and, and um, it was called Jesse's Girl. Do you remember that song? 
Jesse's girl. Um, uh, I'm going to. I'm going to. It, it, it starts off by saying, Jesse was a friend of mine. Why can't I find a woman like that? I want Jesse's girl. Because I have Jesse's girl. What is that, ladies and gentlemen? It's envy. It's saying, the thing that I need to be happy is Jesse's girl. That's what I need. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know that's what we're doing? When we envy guys, I, I'm, I'm, I believe that there's something else besides what's provided for me in the gospel that is the thing that it will ultimately establish my worth. In the, in the case of that song, it's that other girl who's a, you know, with friend's girlfriend. It's that thing that I must have. What is it, ladies and gentlemen? What is the thing that you envy tonight? What is the thing that you have to have? What is this thing that you need so much? What is it that I need in order that I can ultimately feel complete? Whatever that is, that, ladies and gentlemen, is your functional savior. That is the thing to which you are looking to make you feel good about yourself. To make you feel that you've got worth. To make you feel complete. I'm looking at it. And I'm asking it. To meet my needs. That's what we're doing when we envy. So how do we handle our envy? Well, here's what we do. We work out. We tease out. We tease out the gospel. Just, just add envy to the, to the list of, okay, I got to think through my envy in light of the gospel that I believe. What is it that I'm asking to meet my needs? It's Jesse's girl. That's what I want. If I could have Jesse's girl, then I would feel good about myself. What are you envying right now, ladies and gentlemen? What is it that you got to have? What is it that your functional Savior, it ain't Jesus. It's that thing. Whatever it is. And that's what I'm doing with my envy. I got, I got more. How about this one? Um, what about my approach to guilt? Um, have you ever, ever, ever heard anybody say, I, I just can't forgive myself. I did a bad thing. I, I'm going to use this one because I use it all the time. I had an abortion. Or I tell you what, how about this men? We can't have those, but we can pay for them. I paid for one. 
so that my girlfriend would go have an abortion. And I know that Jesus forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Guys, what that means is, is that there is some kind of standards or conditions that you have adopted that are more, in, more central to your identity than God's grace. I have a standard that I adopted, or maybe it was imposed on me. But I failed that standard. And now, I know Jesus forgives me, but I, I just can't forgive myself. You are undermining the very gospel you say you love. Guys, if you can't forgive yourself, it's because you failed your real God. You know what that real God is? Self-righteousness. And that's the thing that's holding you. You have the standard of what a righteous person, something that you defined, something that somebody may be imposed, but you adopted. And so you did something that violated that standard. And therefore, I don't care what the gospel told me. So you're living, ladies and gentlemen, you're viewing your guilt from this position, not that one. Here's another one. This should wake everybody up. My sexuality. Um, gentlemen, why is it that you want to conquer a woman? And ladies, why is it that you want to control a man? By the way, that's what God said you would do, ladies. In Genesis 3, verse 16, he warned that you would use every tool at your disposal to try to rule over men. Um, let me tell you why men want to conquer and women want to control. It's because, ladies and gentlemen, my whole view of life is by gaining my significance and my security by being in control of my life. So, um, so men, um, depending on what gender you are, men or women are things that are to be used. But the New Testament, in terms of its treatment of our sexuality... It tells us that our sexuality is to reflect the self-giving life of Jesus Christ. Or our sexuality is to reflect the gospel. That is, he gave himself completely without condition. Hmm. My sex life is to reflect 
his giving. Gentlemen, porn can't do that. And ladies and gentlemen, neither can adultery. All you do there is take. when I'm supposed to be viewing my sexuality as a vehicle by which I express my understanding of grace. Hmm. What a novel approach to sexuality. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the New Testament approach to sexuality. Do you know, ladies and gentlemen, I say this in every wedding, the metaphor that is used most frequently to describe Christ's relationship to his church is the, is the metaphor of a, of a bride and a groom. And he is um, he's the faithful giver. And we, the church, are the, are the unfaithful takers. Let me do one more. Uh, guys, do you, uh, do you understand what I'm doing? All I'm doing is taking issues and I'm trying to work them out. I'm trying to tease them out and have the gospel give me my, my um, what do I hit Brent to get rid of that? Forget it. Just forget it. Uh, no, uh, all I'm trying to do, yeah, just, just, um, <laughs> okay, just forget it. Uh, <laughs> you remember what was on the board. <laughs> Can I write more on the board? Okay, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> how do I hate thee? Let me count the ways. Um, all I'm trying to do, guys, is give you issues. We looked at two from the text. Um, the one was suffering. The other one was miracles. All I've done is add envy, guilt, sexuality. I got one more. But all I'm trying to do is tease these out in light of the position that we hold in believing a gospel of pure grace. That's all I'm doing. Let me give you one more, and this is really kind of my favorite. Self-esteem. I don't know of an issue that is more fundamentally mistaken in the Christian church than that one. I don't know of an issue that we understand more poorly than we understand that one. Um, We know that self-esteem is very important. I'm going to change that in a minute. Self-esteem is very important, and we've got to build it in our kids. We've got to build self-esteem in our kids. And so they're not doing real good at school, and so we, we take them to a counselor, and the counselor says, well, listen, here, son, here's what you need to do. You need to find something that you're good at. You play the trumpet, then go, let's, let's give some trumpet lessons. 
Uh, can you hit a baseball? Okay, we'll get you some hitting lessons. Oh, you can throw a football. Okay, we're going to take you to you know, all these the, the Archie Manning uh, the clinics so you can throw a football. Because the, the more you perform up to a, to a standard of excellence, the better you're going to feel about yourself. So, your self-esteem is based on living up to some kind of standard. Now, forget those examples, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't like those, most men have found a way to measure their worth. It's called... So the quality of my performance becomes the measure of my worth. And this thing is very easy to measure. And that's why it's so dang important. We don't want to give it away. We can't possibly give it away. Because my whole sense of worth is riding on it. Um, so let's say you got a standard. You're going to be a good baseball player. You're going to make a million dollars. And so you make a million dollars before you're 30. So what does that spawn? Pride. Um, but then let's imagine you don't, you don't make it and you get fired job after job after job. Now, what does that create? I'm just, I don't have any self-esteem. You know, ladies and gentlemen, let, let me, let me make this very clear. Only in Christ Jesus can I be both confident and humble. I can be confident knowing that I am both loved. I can be humble because I know I'm a sinner. And none of that, my confidence nor my humility, is derived from my performance. Years ago, <clears throat> I found this book. It's called Christ Esteem. And um, really, it's not that good of a book. Um, but... It was a new idea. This was, and I did a little sermon series based on this book back in the 80s. Um, I want to read you, and I, I went to the book this afternoon, and I, I'm not going to read you long. I got like four snatches, and they're small. A couple of them are quotes. But uh, this has to do with how we as Christians view this whole subject of self-esteem. We are dealing today with a generation of people who have seemingly stumped the church with a new set of questions. They are not asking, how do I get saved from sin and go to heaven when I die? But rather, how do I find meaning and purpose in life today? Rather than dealing with forgiveness and eternal life, people today are concerned with personal identity and the meaning of their present existence. Embracing a positive image of self will not, in the long run, make any difference. Because I'm still wrapped up in myself. I simply become a self-centered sinner who is trying to like himself. 
That's what you're creating, mom and dad. By helping them boost their self-image. By getting them to the baseball pitcher's clinic. That's what you're doing. God forbid that any of them fail. Because if they do, you're going to have a crater on your hands. Oh, and by the way, that would apply to you mothers as well. My identity isn't that I've raised perfect kids. Why, I sent my kids to Christian schools. Good for you. Let me read you uh, something that C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. Do you see how far off we are? We're creating a generation of kids who are lonely and in rage and despair because we pointed them to the hitting clinic and we didn't point them to Christ. One more and and we'll quit. Martin Luther wrote this. And by the way, this is a piece of advice from Martin Luther who is trying to get God's people to think through the gospel and work it out and to tease it out. When it comes to this, 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 and this, and a host of other issues. And here's the advice that he gives. And here's the advice I'd like to give to you. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a priceless piece of advice. You're not going to do it. But it's a priceless piece of advice. He says this. Martin Luther wrote, hear God's word often. Do not go to bed, do not get up without having spoken a beautiful passage, two, three, or four of them to your heart. Do you know what he's telling you to do? He's telling you to remind yourself of the provisions of the gospel for you. So when you go to bed, Remind yourself of what, of that comparison that used to be up here on the board, um, of the, of the, of the hearing and the faith and this. Remind yourself, and then tease it out. And then when you get up, get three or four more, and remind yourself. Work it out. Work it out in view of everything that I'm facing. You know, before we started here tonight, and I'm, I'll, I'll keep you anonymous, so relax. I had a three-minute conversation with a couple who's in this room who is facing a really big nastiness. My dear brother and sister, work it out. Work out the implications of the gospel as they affect, hmm, 
That's what we do, ladies and gentlemen. As Christians, we view all of these things from one position. Whereas you're, if you're a, if you're a law-abiding, self-righteous Pharisee, you view all of those things differently. And they end up controlling you in a bondage that you can't get out of. And that's exactly where Satan wants you to kill, steal, and destroy. Just to ruin you. So that you will never be effective for the household, for the house, for the kingdom of God. Lord, would you use these vain babblings to encourage and refresh your people and remind them that what Paul is doing to the Galatians is what we have to do with our own lives and our own circumstances and our own sadnesses and our own disappointments and our own disillusionments and our own questions. We've got we've to work it out. We've got to work out what the gospel, what you have by grace.